Welcome to my podcast. Today I have the very big honor to talk with David Airy from Ireland, one of the most renowned and iconic brand designers and uh, logo designers, I think. And he also wrote a few books, such as Logo Design Love. I'm reading the second edition at the moment, and I have to say it's really very inspiring for me as a graphic designer. I can find many useful tips and tricks in there, and it's really nice to, to dive into the, the, the creative process of you, David, in this book. So it's, oh. very, it's very nice to read. Well, thanks. thanks very much for reading and for, for having me on your podcast too. <laughs> um, my first question would be when a client approaches you and says, David, I would like you to create a great visual brand for me. What are the things that you must know from this client? What are the questions you, uh, you ask in the course of the briefing in order to create a great logo? I, I had a set of questions that I, I changed quite recently. That was after picking up a, a copy of Michael Johnson's book. It's called Branding and Five and a Half Steps. It's a, mm -hmm. a super book, by the way, I'd highly recommend it. Okay. The, the questions that he recommends, they all center around the client's ambition, their, their purpose for being here. They might seem easy to answer, but they really get the client thinking in terms of what will be most helpful for, for us, for the designer. The first question is, why are you here? That's the all-encompassing question. A, a tricky one, and you want your client to summarize the answer into a few key words or phrases. Mm -hmm. Imagine if, if someone asks you what you do for a living, you know, they, they don't want to hear a lecture, but at the same time, you want to show some kind of purpose and meaning behind you earn a living. You know, what problem do you exist to solve? Yeah, I see. Uh, the second question is, what do you do and how do you do it? And this, this usually results in more descriptive statements where the client can give a, a deeper insight into their day-to-day their -day process, the steps involved, mm -hmm. main tasks that they do. Okay. And third, what makes you different? Because it's, it's the uniqueness of a brand that not only helps it to succeed, but it also helps designers to position it away from what their the competition is doing. Yeah, I think that's also one of the most difficult questions sometimes for some clients? Mm. Yeah, it, it can be hard to answer, especially when there's so much, so many competing companies. Mm. You know, it's, it's rare to find a company now that is the only one selling what they sell. Yeah, exactly. Which, which is fine because, you know, it, it, just because you sell something that somebody else sells doesn't mean you can't do it better. You know, you, yeah. That, that's what, what drives us. You know, think of the amount of designers there are, thousands, you know, perhaps. Yeah well hundreds of thousands of designers around the world but you know, there's nothing to stop you from being one of the best if you have the, you know, the devotion to it and you keep learning if you're curious enough yeah definitely and then the next question is um who are you here for so branding tends to look very different depending on who it's aimed at you think of the difference between kids who love camping for example or Pensioners who like listening to relaxing classical music, you know, the, mm -hmm. the design message needs to fit with the audience, mm -hmm. and it can be very different depending on on who you're who you want to attract. Yeah, makes sense. Fifth question is, um, who do you value the most? It's it's good to dig into the more emotional aspect of the brand because that isn't always easy for a client to answer, uh, and you can you can phrase the question in a different way, such as. If you currently stand for this, you know, what should you stand for in the future? Okay. So the, the, the questions, they might be straightforward for the client to answer, but 
it gets them thinking in the way that you want them to so that they give you the information that you need. Yeah, I think it really kind of forces the client to think about themselves as well, which is very good, yeah. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I, I, I tend to get quite a few inquiries from people who they don't seem very interested. At the start, all they want is just a, a price from me. Yeah. So if I come back to them with these questions, it can also act as a, a filter yeah. to you know, get rid of the clients that are that all they want is a price and, and, and then move on to something else. You know, They're not contacting me because they're genuinely interested in hiring me. So yeah. The, yeah, the, the questions, even though they might be difficult, it's a, it's a good... It's a good way to, you know, pull in the people who you want to work with in the first place. Yeah, I think that's a very good, a very good tip. I've never considered doing that, but maybe I will pick up on it now, <laughs> as you say. Yeah, I've been, I've been trying these questions for a, a few times now. It's only recently when I when I bought Michael Johnson's book, and okay. um, yeah, it's so far so good. It's been working out well. Oh, but there's there's one other question. There's there's six questions in total that he, that he mentions, and the sixth one is what's your personality and that's something that would cover the client's tone of voice their their messaging the the copywriting that might be used mm-hmm. so whether that's something that you as a designer are going to handle or if you're working with a copywriter mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's still going to be useful yeah the next question from me is when do you personally consider a design job is finished because I think with every creative job, there is never a hundred percent end line, so to speak. It's not like bookkeeping where something is either correct or incorrect. You can basically design forever, more or less. But mm-hmm. when when do you personally think I stop designing now? That's it. That's uh, it. Doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think my work's done only for the client to disagree. I'm sure uh, <laughs> any designer who's been in the job for a certain length of time will we'll have the same experience. So I'll need to push my ideas further than before. Hopefully, you know, coming up with a design that gets the client excited. Mm-hmm. There, there have been projects that were, for one reason or another, just didn't work out. I'd, I'd received the down payment that I invoiced for. I'd start work, come up with what I thought were excellent ideas, only for everyone to get rejected. But it, but it happens to every designer, and you know they're not all home runs or projects. Just as your your favorite band doesn't always write number one hits, or no sports team wins every time, no matter how good they are. Yeah. So it's it's important to be realistic about it, and as a designer, not beat yourself up too much when a project doesn't work out, because we all deal with failure, and ideally, the more we fail, you know, the faster we learn. Yeah. Speaking of learning, as you just mentioned, uh, the word learning. Um, I think we all learn to um, deal with more and more digital um, things and everything becomes more digital as less and less print people say. We have always new um, smartphone versions coming up and more devices coming up. So with so many um, different sizes of and different sizes of screens um, where design can be visible, what is your challenge here? How, how do you see that? Because in the end, a brand has to look consistent across all sizes, maybe digital or print. It has to look the same on a small app icon, as well as on a big, huge uh, billboard on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, app icons and social avatars, they, they play a big part in how a brand scene. You've got to make sure that your design idea remains intact whenever it's scaled down. So I'll always keep my sketches simple. Uh, okay. That's not to say that you can't end up with a fairly detailed symbol or, or, or a crest because you can have 
a range of versions where the most detailed is to be used above a certain size then when the dimensions or the, the canvas gets smaller then you, you swap it for a less detailed mark if you put each variation alongside one another in your design presentation they all they should all share the same idea and the same form yeah but would you say the simpler um, a logo is the the easier it is to use it for an app icon let's say or in small size yes yes definitely yeah. it just um Just yesterday, there was a new one that came out. The Formula One logo was redesigned, and and I've noticed it on Twitter. It doesn't scale down too well because there's a gap in between the, the characters. It's an F and a one monogram, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, so it's just so, it's something that you've really got to pay attention to because people are going to be seeing it smaller and smaller, especially on things like Twitter and, and Facebook, where you know, the avatar It's, it's a little bit bigger in your profile or mm -hmm. at the top of the page, but when you make a comment, it's going to be quite small. You know, it's going to be very small. So, yeah, yeah, it's something, something definitely to look out for. Yeah, I think this is a big challenge because everybody wants to uh, create a totally unique and outstanding logo that looks different from anything else seen before. But at the same time, it has to look outstanding on a very, very small size. So it's really difficult sometimes. It is. It's a challenge, yeah. And... You mentioned how you, the, the mark has to be distinctive, you know, something that isn't, hasn't been seen before, which which is, uh, well, if you if you search long enough, you're going to find something that's pretty much exactly the same as what you've created, but you can only spend so long looking, which is why the first place you should look is always at a client's competitors, always mm -hmm. within their marketplace, because if, if a, a symbol is trademarked, it costs a lot of money to trademark it across a, a wide range of industries and sectors. So if you focus on the client sector, then that's generally where any trademark disputes are going to come up because you know, it's, it's rare when a company is going to register a trademark across multiple markets that they don't operate in. Mm -hmm. I see. I think because trademark or patents are, um, are paid for um, by, how do you say, business sector, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, well, thank you very, very much, David. Uh, it was really a pleasure and a big honor for me to talk with you. Yeah, well, I, yeah thanks again for considering uh, talking to me today. It's been a pleasure.